We welcome each of you to this hour of worship today. Glad to have you here. Uh, special glad to have you here if you are a visitor among us. Hope that you'll come back and worship with us on many, many future occasions. Um, several announcements to bring to your attention. One is that to our children, uh, remember that uh, the Sunday night program will start at 5.30 today with choir and then Bible study and mission kids goes from 6.15 to 7 o'clock. And also on Wednesday night, we're having uh, our monthly um, church-wide covered, not covered dish, catered meal. And for the children that night, they will be celebrating St. Patrick's Day a little early. And so we invite the children to, to come also to that meal and enjoy that activity that Katie will be leading. It is time to sign up for softball. Um, and we've got to let the league know by the end of this week uh, if we're going to have teams. And this is men's and women's softball teams. The way uh, that you can register is by going online at greerchurch.com. Uh, it costs $25 to register to play. And if you have any other questions, contact Coach Lee Dumas, who will answer all your questions. The United Methodist Women's Spring Luncheon will be held on March the 20th at 11.30 in the Social Hall. Tickets may be purchased from circle leaders or from United Methodist Women officers after March the 7th. This did not make it into the newsletter, so we pass that word on to you. Let me bring you up to date on some of our sick folks very briefly. Um, Don Watson is a uh, patient at Greenville Memorial Hospital. John Jameson is there also in intensive care. He did not have H1N1. He is suffering from a bad fall that he had last week where he cracked the rib and did some internal uh, damage in his left side. And uh, on Friday they had to do surgery on John to remove some fluid from his chest cavity and he remains in intensive care, but expected to make a full recovery. But please remember him in your prayers. At the same time, Joan is out sick with the flu. So it uh, does pile up on us sometimes. And also Katherine Johnson is a patient there at, at Greenville Memorial Hospital. I think I'm right that two weeks from today we set our clocks. I'm seeing nods, so be aware. That's early, isn't it? So maybe we'll, maybe we'll get advance notice and get that done and, and be here on time. But anyway, it's good to see all of you. Glad that we can be together for this time of worship. And let us now begin this time in worship together.
Confession of Faith is the Apostles' Creed, found on page 881 in your hymnal. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Beverly Davis for a few moments of sharing. see you all. Today I wanted to talk to you about friends. The other day I got an email from a friend and she told me that this was friendship week. Now I don't know if that was really true or not but anyway that's what it said. And it referred to several different scriptures. One of the things came from the book of Proverbs and it said a true friend is always loyal. What does loyal mean? Do you know? They stick by it. It's a person who's there whether things are going good or things aren't going so well. A friend will stick with you. And then in, in Ephesians, where Paul was writing a letter to the people in Ephesus, it said, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. Uh, so I put those two things on bookmark, which I'm going to give you to take home. But first, I want to talk about something else. Do you know we have a very good friend here in this church? She's especially good to the boys and girls. How many times have we been in the library and we've seen books and stuffed animals? You've seen them up there? Do you know where they come from? Mrs. Crowley, will you stand up so they can see you? She is our friend in the library. She has bought many books and stuffed animals and things for you. Don't you think we ought to tell her thank you? Thank you. The latest ones she bought are these three. They just came in. Do you know who wrote these books? Dr. Seuss. And that's a funny name, isn't it? But it's not really. It was his middle name, Seuss was his middle name, and, and it was his mother's name before she was married. That's how he came up with that name. And a lot of people think this is Dr. Seuss. Who is this? Yeah. You, 
The Cat in the Hat. And Dr. Seuss wrote us books about the cat in the hat, didn't he? Well, these are all going to be in the library when you come next week, thanks to our good friend, Mrs. Crowley. And you're being friends. Do any of you go to the kids and mission kids or what is it? Mission friends at night, Sunday night? Do you come? Any of you? You do? Well, good. Because I read that you were collecting books for the children at the Dunbar Center. And you're being friends to them, even if you don't know them, aren't you? So I went through my collection of books at home. These were not from the library. And I've got a bag full of books here that I'm hoping somebody will take to those to wherever they're collecting these books for the mission friends. So that's, it can add to the books that you folks have been collecting. And I have another book. What is the most important book around here in church? The Bible. Well, Mr. Davis and I are in the process of moving and I have been digging through all kinds of things that I didn't know I had. I found this. This is a New Testament. It's just, just <clears throat> the last part of the Bible. It's not the whole Bible. And the print is so small that unless I had a magnifying glass, I can't read it. It's terrible to get blind, but that's the way I am. And in the back of it, it said, read this book, love this book, obey this book, follow this book. This is God's word. May you live to be a, a good Christian life in God's service. And if you live a good Christian life, you will be a good friend too, won't you? I don't know who this is that signed it. My guess is it's a, probably a teacher. And it says December 1922. I've decided it must have belonged to my father because December 1922 was when he was leaving England to come to the United States. So I'm I can't figure out where he got this from, but I think she gave him good advice to be a good friend and to use a good book. Now, I want you to all remember next week is Library Day, too. Don't forget that. Before we leave, though, let's say a prayer, shall we? Thank you, God, for friends who share with us and for those with whom we can share. Help us to be true, loyal friends, kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Amen. Testament lesson is from Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 18. After this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer 
of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So, so the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Then as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set, verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Riphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. Here ends the lesson in my attempt to read those big words. Our responsive reading is um, Psalm 27. Found on page 758 and 759, I invite you to stand as you are able as we share this passage together responsibly. <clears throat> The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes shall stumble and fall. Though a host against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and that I will seek after. The Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and will set me high upon a rock. And now my faith shall be lifted up above my enemies round about me, and I will Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart said, seek the Lord's face. Your face, O Lord, I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. 
If my father and mother should forsake me, but the Lord would take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Epistles today is Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17 and then continuing down to the first verse of chapter 4. <coughs> Paul is writing Join with others in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear <coughs> friends. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join together in the prayer of confession, which is printed there in your bulletin. Let us pray. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we might dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit, put aside the cloak of pride and to put on Christ that we might forgive and be forgiven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, we are grateful for the pattern of living that Paul talks to us about whereby we remember first of all whose we are and that we are citizens of the heavenly realm and that we might set our minds on higher things in life than simply satisfying our impulses and desires. We're especially thankful for the example of Jesus who went about doing good, caring for those who were forgotten and lost and hurting and we are grateful that he stuck to the path that you had prescribed for him, even though the way was not always easy. And we know at the end it was anything but easy. But he did this out of love for you and love for us. 
And so we thank you for that pattern of living that Paul talks to us about, the life that is a life of giving and self-sacrifice and of forgiving and loving even as we have been loved. And we are thankful for this. We are grateful too, Lord, that Jesus was one who was loved by many people, who helps us remember that there were some Pharisees and those insiders of the religion of his day that befriended him and who walked through this journey of life with him, and we're thankful for this. Sometimes we get it in our heads that the world is against us. Sometimes we think that the world was against Jesus. And it's good for us to be reminded that there were many who were faithful to you, as there are now many who are still faithful to you in this difficult age in which we find ourselves living. We're thankful that we're living in a time when people still are feeling the call to follow Jesus and that people are leaving the, the comforts of home in America to go around the world in service in the name of Christ. And we're thankful that we're a part of a fellowship of Christians where people do feel that call to go and serve. And we're thankful, Lord, that you are at work in us as in all churches to lift up the name of Jesus and to cause people everywhere to know of his love and care. And we're thankful, Lord, that even as you called Abram long ago and told him about a promised land, so you have called us in the New Testament community and promised us a land of hope. And we're thankful that we belong to that great kingdom of God that has no boundaries here on earth nor no limits in the world to come. And so we're thankful that in the world to come, we will, we will know what it is to live fully in the kingdom of God. And for this, we are truly grateful. We pray your blessings upon those that are in times of special need this day, who are struggling in life with health or other decisions, for those who are looking for work, those who are looking for love and a place of nurture and care. We pray for these, that your loving arms might embrace them and that you might meet the needs in their hearts and minds. For we pray all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
You know when you played Little League Baseball with somebody, you've known them for a long time, and one of my Little League Baseball teammates is here today, Bobby Dobbins, sitting most of the way back with, with his wife, uh, Becky, and uh, glad to have you folks with us. Uh, Mama was a, a local, um, I can't call her a school bus driver because it was an old Hudson, but we rode to school in that old thing too, without any heat. Uh, memories that come back from childhood, but good to see you folks here. From uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, here now, this lesson, verses 31 to 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, <clears throat> Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here ends the lesson. I believe some of you folks that have been here a few years uh, remembered hearing a friend of mine, Enoch Finkley, here preach before. Does that name ring a bell with some of you? He's a deceased uh, a uh, member of uh, the church triumphant now, but he was a Methodist preacher. He told us one time that on his first Sunday preaching, he brought a lady to tears, and so he thought he'd done real well. Until sometime after that, she told him that she cried because he was so pathetic, <laughs> and she felt so sorry for him. Enoch said that he, that day he said everything he knew to say and had started on a second sermon and had only talked 10 minutes. Well, I'm, a, I'm tempted to preach two sermons today myself, but you all know that I can go on much longer than 10 minutes. You see, it's hard for me not to talk about that Philippians 3.18 passage where Paul says, For as I have often told you before and now say even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It would be interesting for us to try to figure out exactly the people that Paul had in mind as enemies of the cross of Christ. I really don't think he was talking about the Romans or non-believers. He probably had people in mind who claimed to be Christians, but whose attitudes and actions fell far short of the mind of Christ. Those who didn't practice forgiving others as we have been forgiven by God, those who trusted in external rituals like sacrifices or circumcision rather than trusting in the grace of God offered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and those who did whatever their passions and appetites dictated. You know, the greatest enemies to the cross of Christ have always been enemies on the inside not those on the outside. Often churches die from forces within themselves rather than enemies outside. 
But that's a sermon that'll just have to wait for another day because I see some points of interest and some surprises even in this passage from Luke that we just shared together. And um, as I've shared with you, now as I read scripture, that's what sticks out and stands out to me is surprises that I find, things that I hadn't paid a lot of attention to before. The first surprise that I noticed there as I read that passage was that Jesus was befriended by and warned by some Pharisees. But I thought all the Pharisees were Jesus' enemies. Indeed, Jesus was very hard on the Pharisees as a group of people, but it was because there was a large gap between what they said that they believed and how they acted and lived every day. It was their hypocrisy that bothered Jesus so much. He also was troubled deeply by their air of self-righteousness where they thought that they were better than everyone else. And their rules made religion a hardship for the average person and those rules didn't help people live their daily lives. The fact that they made a show of their religion also bothered Jesus greatly. But in their defense, the Pharisees did deeply love God and believe in God. And they believed that Jesus was right when he spoke about a life after this life in heaven, whereas the Sadducees did not believe in heaven. Many of Jesus' early followers, most notably Paul, were Pharisees. And so we make a big mistake when we lump all the Pharisees together into one group and think that they were all just alike just like the mistakes that we often make when we lump other groups of people together, minorities or genders or even political parties, we group these people together and say they're all like that, you know. All men are just alike. Well, maybe we are, guys. I don't know about that one. But uh, we, uh, we do tend to do this lumping of people together. You remember Jesus made a member of an ethnic minority group, a Samaritan, the hero of one of his greatest parables, not only to answer the question, who is my neighbor, but to challenge some people who didn't think that Samaritans had that much sense to be good neighbors, and they couldn't be trusted. On this occasion, we have a reminder that there were some good Pharisees who befriended Jesus, who don't fit into our preconceived notions of what a Pharisee was. Prejudice is always a dangerous thing. The second surprise that I noticed in this passage was how sarcastic Jesus could be. Now, sarcasm is a form of humor, but it also is a pretty harsh form of humor, usually expressing the depth of the emotion of the speaker and and the attitudes towards someone that we don't particularly like. Jesus sounds angry here as he refers to the king as a fox. And then he sarcastically says of Jerusalem, it is impossible for a prophet to be killed anywhere but in Jerusalem. That word fox was often used by rabbis as an expression of utter contempt. And that's certainly the feeling that Jesus had when he used that word toward Herod. He thought of Herod as a sly and cunning man who had made many political concessions just to hang on to his power in a Roman-dominated world. 
But he was powerless, really, to carry out any threat against Jesus, and Jesus knew that. Unless he had the backing of Caesar and Caesar's forces, there was nothing to worry about. Whereas Jesus knew that he was operating under the power and authority of God. As Jesus spoke and told Pontius Pilate, you would not have any power over me at all if it were not given to you by my father. Knowing Jesus, knowing this gave Jesus peace and confidence uh, as he lived his life. In this instance, Jesus sent a message to Herod by means of those Pharisees, in essence saying, listen, bub, I'm operating on God's timetable and I'm not going to change my plans because of your idle threats. There are people right here that need me to heal them in body and in mind. And I'm staying right here today and tomorrow. I'll be here until the day after tomorrow and then I'm headed to Jerusalem. If you really are looking for me, that's my itinerary. Jesus was, in essence, calling Herod's bluff. We know that during Jesus' trial, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, hoping to pass the responsibility uh, for dealing with Jesus on to Herod to make Herod responsible for whatever happened to Jesus. And that's when we see firsthand that Herod was indeed a fox lacking any real power or courage to make any decision regarding Jesus. All Herod did was mock him, ridicule him, and put a royal robe on Jesus and send him, sending him back, uh, sent him on back to Pilate. Jesus was also very sarcastic in his assessment of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that place that God had chosen as the location of his temple, the capital city of ancient Israel, the city of King David, had become little more than a vassal city of Rome. Leading families there had politicked for the right to become high priests, a decision like that being made not based upon the statutes of God, but rather based on what could best preserve the temple from being destroyed by enemies and protect the power of those in charge. Prophets across the years who had been sent to Jerusalem and other parts of Israel for that matter had not fared very well. They were threatened by kings and a few indeed were killed. Tradition states that Isaiah was martyred as was Micah. King Joash had Zechariah son of Jehoiada put to death. Not long before Jesus said these words, John the baptizer had been slain. And Jesus certainly knew what fate was waiting him in Jerusalem. Even though the list of prophets slain in Jerusalem is somewhat slim, the sarcastic words of Jesus ought to be interpreted as a prophecy about his cross. In essence saying, it wouldn't be right for me to be killed anywhere other than in Jerusalem. Another surprise in this passage here is that Jesus made a veiled reference to his resurrection. Many scholars find it interesting that Jesus used the phrase, and on the third day I will finish my work or reach my goal. They point out that this phrase might have a double meaning. Jesus would be on his way to Jerusalem the day after tomorrow, 
But Jesus would also finish his work of redemption on the third day following his crucifixion. His goal of saving us would be accomplished on that third day. And this may be why the disciples remembered this saying and made it part of the story about Jesus that they wanted to tell over and over again. A fourth surprise is when Jesus compared the love of God to the care that a hen gives to her chicks. Now, in the Bible, sometimes God is referred to as a roaring lion, but who would have expected that Jesus would use the term chicken as a symbol of God? Well, maybe some of you Gamecock fans could have anticipated that. But um, a hen being used as a symbol of God. I still remember going up in the country to the farm that my uncle lived on after my grandfather passed away. Their air-conditioned place for visits when I went up there was their backyard under some tall oak trees. You all remember those times. And out there in the country, chickens roamed freely before being cooped up for the night. And so I could uh, be chased by a rooster upon occasion. But there would be times we'd be sitting there and I would look up in the sky and I would see a chicken hawk circling overhead and my uncle would say, watch this. That hen would start clucking so loudly and from everywhere around that yard, from under shrubs, bushes, from out of tall grass, would come a bunch of little chicks. It looked like hundreds of them, all running toward their mama. That hen would stand up tall on, well, the hens have tiptoes? Seemed like it. And those chicks would run and gather around her drumsticks, I mean her legs. And then she would squat down over them while she looked up at that old chicken hawk with a look that said, now what you gonna do, fella? These are mine and you can't have them. Jesus said God had always wanted to provide his children with that same degree of love and care, but his children were not willing to answer the call that God had put out to them. Just as chicks that failed to come when the mother hen called would be easy prey to that hawk, so we are easy prey to destruction when we don't heed God's call and come to him. In the case with the house of Judah, desolation, as Jesus said, did await them. There's hardly a better word to describe the utter destruction that came to pass in that land in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and the diaspora, the pouring out of the Jewish nation all over the world was so complete that there were no descendants of Judah in that region of the world until the beginning of the 20th century. 19 centuries of exile is desolation, desolation to be sure. There's still one more surprise that may be found in this passage. And that is, just what did Jesus mean when he said, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The setting that Matthew chose for this saying makes it appear as a prediction of his second coming or his return at the end of the age. But Luke put that story and that saying in such a place that creates the possibility that Jesus was predicting what would happen on Palm Sunday. 
when he rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. That day, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This, along with his statements regarding his betrayal and the mocking that he endured, as well as predictions about his crucifixion and rising on the third day, were recognized by the disciples as prophetic utterances of Jesus, assuring the disciples that all that was happening, Jesus knew about it in advance. God was involved in all those things. It wasn't happening in a forgotten area and way. Jesus was within the will of God. Oh, it's fun to read the Bible looking for surprises, and I hope you'll do that too, and look for things that maybe you haven't noticed before. In this passage, we are surprised to find friendly Pharisees, the sarcastic wit of Jesus, predictions of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as well as his resurrection on the third day, and his use of a chicken as an object lesson. May our worship help us to live this coming week as friends of the cross of Jesus. Amen. Amen.